So the reason that we do these rituals is that we're then in alignment with the laws of nature and inviting that intelligence into our life. This cosmic intelligence is coming down by this connection to realizing that when we look outside and we see a hummingbird flapping its wings, that science can tell us how many times a second that thing is flapping. But it doesn't tell us about the intelligence that created the hummingbird. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. In today's show, we're coming in hot <laughs> with my good friend, Jason Picard. Now, Jason is someone who I met approximately five years ago through Paul Check, And even before I met him, I knew that we were going to be brothers for a long time. And that's really because we both share this insatiable hunger for learning and experiences and really just simply bettering ourselves so that we can be of greater service for the people that we love in the world. And Jason has such a unique background. You know, he, before he really started working on, on all these things related to self-growth and self-improvement, he was a high-level, high-paced businessman. He was one of the top traders on Wall Street. He was voted uh, or ranked as the top 30 under 30. And as much success as he's experienced in the business world, one of the interesting things about Jason and, and his awareness around this is really something special he had so much success in that world. However, on the flip side, his internal world really felt empty in his words. And he was incredibly unhealthy. In fact, he was morbidly obese, over 300 pounds. And the journey that he's gone through over these years is something remarkable. He's worked with some of the best therapists in the world, some of the best performance specialists, indigenous teachers, shamans, you name it. And he's really been able to extract a lot of that wisdom and integrate it practically, practically into how we can live more enriched and more full lives today. Now, in this discussion, you're going to hear some stories from our hunt, which was incredible. You know, Jason's ability to really extract knowledge from the natural world, specifically animals, and really his perspective on seeing that everything in our reality is a symbol and is there to teach us something, represent something in our life. And so you're going to hear how some of these things, uh, again, animals specifically, how we can learn by the way they move, by the way they act, their characteristics, and we can begin embodying some of those characteristics so that we can use that as fuel, as information to better our own life. Now, Jason really talks about in his work as a therapist, utilizing our childhood memories as a treasure chest so that we can get better guidance in our own life. He also discusses what we can do to actually find and meet our edge so that we can excel. We also go into how we can harness the power of the warrior in our life, the balanced warrior to set boundaries, to get more clarity and to really step up in this world. I am so excited to bring you this podcast with my dear friend, Jason Picard. Get ready because we're heading right into it. One of the things I'm very present to is, you know, on this trip, I got to spend four amazing days with you and a group of guys. And one of the things that came up 
on that trip was just one, my appreciation for you as a friend and, and just how really thoughtful and mindful and deep and wise you are. And one of the things is- Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's how I have experienced you now for years. And we've been buds for, I don't even know, like five years now. And I've, we've worked kettlebells and Bulgarian bags. I've been in your neck of the woods. And, and so I know that like, obviously you're always changing, always evolving, same thing with right. me. But I know the Jason of like today, who's put so much time, energy, love into his family, how you care for yourself. But I know that wasn't always the case. And I know you are very high level in the business world. So can you just give a little bit of context of like, what did you do in your past before all this stuff, before you started really focusing on your health, your vitality, your dreams? Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's so touching actually that you say those things. One of the one of the hardest things I think for all of us is really to receive <laughs> fully the compliment, right? To really take it and say, oh yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. I really feel that. You know, it's 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 easier almost to give those kinds of things and is to, to receive them. So thank you. But yeah, in my past, you know, I was I was I was a pretty mainstream life. I had a pretty mainstream life. I went to regular, you know, school and education, and I really thought life was about being successful and getting good grades and all, all the kinds of milestones that you know we're told that are, are important as we're growing up. And I went to the University of Virginia and I studied for business and I went right out into Wall Street, which is really the only career that I ever knew when I was a child. I saw my dad in the industry and it just totally caught me. Hmm. Um, I was just just like the competitiveness and the, the fierceness of it. And the eccentricity of all of the people that were, were there it was just kind of like a wild, exciting, um, is it like the movies? Like well, I think it was at one point <laughs> in the in the earlier days. That's what I kind of got uh, exposed to when I was a kid, and that's what really caught me. It's like, wow, this is cool. These guys are having a lot of fun, men and women, but they're they're all having fun. They're like casual. They're making a lot of money. It's exciting. It's sort of like being on a, a sports team almost, you know. And that really excited me. But over the years, it's gotten a lot more um, regulated and controlled, and it's 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 more corporate now than it was. But it was it was wild. The farther that you go back, the the more wild it was, in, you know my understanding of it. But yeah, so I, I went I went into Wall Street right out of college, and you know I, I was working my way up through these Wall Street jobs, and I had very very early success. Um, by the time I was twenty four years old, I was managing my own trading portfolio. By the time I was twenty six, I was working for Tudor Investments, which is like the Yankees or the Cowboys of trading, you know, like America's team kind of thing. It was like the top tier firm. This is like the best place to be in the world. And I'm 26 years old and I'm working there. I was ranked one of the top 30 traders under, under 30 in the world. I was making lots and lots of money. I was managing an enormous portfolio, a billion dollar portfolio. Holy shit. But I was 330 pounds and I was really sick and I was not well and I was not happy. Um, and I was not, I was not doing well in my life. So the, to, to the degree that I was successful on the outside, paradoxically, I was that unsuccessful on the inside. No matter how much money I made, millions, tens of millions, it didn't matter. No matter how many parties I threw, no matter how many plane, private planes I threw on or champagne bottles I sprayed in the air, no matter how much <laughs> excess I could do, it, it never filled the, this, this hole in me, which was that I was looking for success externally. 
I was looking for this appreciation and recognition from outside of myself. And it was just insatiable drive. And that was when I had this recognition that I had to do something about my inner life and work on myself because this was, this was a gaping hole that can never be filled. I'm curious, do you feel that started observing your father? Where did that competitiveness or where did that external push, where did that, is there an event or thing that comes up in regards yeah. to that? Yeah. So I, I, in my work that I'm doing now as a therapist, I'm working with people's earliest childhood dreams. And this is the work of Arnie Mendel and in process-oriented psychology. And what, what that says is that our earliest childhood dreams or our earliest childhood memories influence the rest of our life. They're almost like our life myth, or you can say the reason why we came here, what we came here to learn. In yoga, it would be implied that that would be a life-to-life -life process, that this is where we, what we left off working on in the last life and why we chose to come into this new life to take incarnation as we're, we're being born into a university. You know, this is an earth school. And so this is the this is this eternal process that we're on, and the the life myth or the earliest childhood dreams or most traumatic or most beautiful experiences of our childhood that we still remember are like this treasure chest of inner gold that can be like this wave of guidance through our life of why we're here and what our purpose is. So for me, one of my earliest childhood memories, and you know I've worked with a few of them, but one of the ones that are, are, are strongest for me was this is not a dream, this is an, an actual event. I came home with my first report card at seven years old and my mom had this whole thing of, if you come home with a good report card, you'll get a reward, right? Totally material oriented psychology at that time, but you know, that, it, that's, that was totally normal. So I come home with her report card thinking that it's great. And she, for whatever reason says, you know, this is, this is not good enough for the reward. It wasn't a good enough report card. And I threw myself back in the air and I hit my head on a flower pot, opened up my head, had to get six or seven stitches in my head and cracked the flower pot and, and cracked my head. So what I realized now was like, I was looking for in that moment, this idea of external recognition and appreciation, this report card, right? And my mom rejecting it, I had then built a life where I was looking for this love from something outside of myself. I kept trying to get the best grades in school. I picked a profession in trading where you have a constant report card. Every day, you're getting a results. Every minute of every day, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're down $10 million, you're up $10 million, you go to sleep at night, the markets are constantly moving, you, you're having this constant um, report card. I, you know, so it was, it was so ingrained in my life, but no matter how well I did, no matter how many, no matter how many grades I got, no matter how, what college I went to, no matter how good I did in Wall Street, no matter how much I reached for that report card, it never actually filled me up. And so the other parts of the dream are the medicine. So the mother in the dream, that's me and learning how to nurture myself and not feel like I need that recognition from outside of myself, but from inside of myself. And then the whole part of falling back, this whole idea of letting go and surrendering in a more yin approach to life, that ultimately was the key cracked open my pot, which is, you know, we could say metaphorically in my head, or allows me now to open up other people's minds and emerges the flower from the flower pot. So these, these early childhood experiences are so remarkable in that how they really shape the dreaming nature of our life. We are not just this mechanical being. 
We are a dream that the universe is dreaming. That is fascinating, brother. And one thing that comes up right now when you say that is you said something earlier that I don't want to say triggered me, but challenged me quite a bit. You know, when I see what you just shared about where you were in Wall, Wall Street, it didn't work for you from the health and from the success and the process. And then how I see you now, you had said something, you had used the word like, it's actually not about time under tension, right? You know, success. And that's really where I feel part of me still struggles today around how I'm viewing success, like what's gotten me to where I'm at. It's worked in some regards as an athlete, for example, that time under tension, those repetitions, but you challenged me and you said, there's another way to do it. Yeah. And I'm really curious because it's, it's from the little that we've talked about, and I really want to dive into it here. I know it's the medicine that I need. And I imagine too, especially in a society like today and the people listening to this who want to be better and go-getters, uh, that's a formula that doesn't always work. So can you share your experience with yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, e even in the gym, it's just kind of fascinating is that if we're focusing on time under tension, that's really important, but we're usually always resting in the, even in wow. the gym than we are exercising, wow. right? We're doing, uh, you know, if you're doing Bulgarian bags, maybe for 30 seconds or a minute or something, but then you might be resting for one to two minutes mm -hmm. after that, right? I mean, obviously, depending on the type of workout you're doing, but rest is so key even in the gym. So, you know, what I found it, it, when I was working is that doing more is not necessarily better. And this plays into even to my childhood dream of this direct, linear, logical approach. But then when I could, with the report card, but then when I can let go and surrender, I can tap into an intelligence that's outside of myself. And the only way to do that is to get still and to kind of let go. So I had developed all these sort of more feminine or yin receptive approaches to business by not necessarily working harder, but working smarter or by taking breaks or being creative or using different meditative tools to tap into nature, to tap into other parts of myself. So I'm not just, you know, using my left brain faculties in order to use only my linear logical thinking to do things. So I think in, un, instead of tension, it's more about intention. <laughs> you know, what is the intention of my time? What is the purpose of my time? How am I using my time? Not necessarily this whole idea of, oh, we need to sit at our desk for longer to do this FaceTime because our boss is, is watching us or, you know, we have to put in 80 hours a week or whatever. It, it's just more about, what is the quality of that time? You know, in the, in the Tao, they have Wei Wu Wei, action without action. How do we create action with not doing as much? You know, the samurai is sitting exactly still and balanced until that last second when they have to make that move in the most efficient way. They're not being pulled around. They're not overthinking it. They're just completely staying in that center. So how do we stay in our center and how do we stay in this receptive mode so that we can really listen to our business and our needs and what's going on and, and tap into a larger intelligence than what we're, that we're normally accustomed to thinking about. You've, I know, worked with a bunch of, um, if I recall correctly, uh, you've shared this approach to, in some regard of this philosophy, mm -hmm. maybe doing less but better or being more intentional about right. what you do and how you do it with university students, if right. I recall a few years yeah. ago. What I'm really curious about is in that world with, you know, business students who are so maybe more masculine approach, I've, if I do X, I get Y, outcome driven. Right. How has this been received and do you get pushback or how do you get that? 
how do you get that buy-in? Because this is really action without action. And I think that's a very hard concept for our society to even digest. Yes. Well, you know, I think this is an important thing for anybody who's working as a coach is that just sharing what's worked for me. Okay. I'm not telling you that this is necessarily something you need to do. Yep. It's just going to add more stress to your life. But these are the things that I did to cultivate a level of success and then also do it without jeopardizing my health, right? So, you know, if we're thinking about the wheel of a car, I know we've talked a little bit about that, oh, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or the medicine wheel. Yeah. If you're thinking about a, a circle or a wheel, in the East, we have our energy. And this is like the ignition or the starter of a car. So how we create our energy is so important to how we think about our whole life as an entrepreneur. So what are we eating? You know, what are we drinking? What are we taking cold showers? You know, how are we managing our energy in terms of all of our different relationships and the way we start our day, the mood that we create in our day. And then we can move down into the South where it's, you know, how are we recovering and how are we resting? And this is the engine of the car. You know, are we paying attention to what has heart and meaning? Are we paying attention to what's good, true, and beautiful for us in our lives? Um, you know, th this is the area of, of healing and restoration. And, you know, all this, th this is so important, right? You know, the, the good quality sleep, being in touch with your dreams at night, taking time to reflect and contemplate, go in the sauna. These are all key things to being productive for me. Mm. And then you move into the West and you have the body of the car where it's, how are we managing our exercise and our movement, right? You know, working out versus working in. You know, how are we cultivating our energy during the day so that we can stay focused and clear and energized and, and uh, purposeful in our work? How are we setting up our environment? What is the body of our office? You know, what are the ergonomics of our desk? Are we in a cluttered space? Are we in a clear space? You know, how are we setting up our environment to work for us? And then the North is the steering wheel. It's being connected to our dreams, being connected to our visions, having a North star, sitting in silence, you know, receiving. And when we can go around the wheel and then create all of this balance through all of these four directions, then we can move into the center when we're the driver of our experience. So, you know, the first thing to do really is to make sure that you have a, uh, a balanced wheel, right? If you really truly want to be successful, you have to remove all of the interferences that happen from bad diet and not drinking the right, you know, not drinking the right quality water, having crappy sleep, not moving your body, not being in silence and not dreaming. So first you have to create this wheel and then you can move into the center and then you could more access this sort of cosmic intelligence that comes from, from sort of dropping out, so to speak, and tapping into other things. So some of the tools that I, I, I would invite people to think about would be, you know, there, there's plenty of exercises to do, but often like if you can, you know, thinking about a problem that you're trying to solve mm -hmm. and, you, and you have had been working on for a long time, and then instead of trying to just solve it at your desk, maybe going through a walk in nature and looking for the first thing that catches your eye and looking at that as a symbol and as a metaphor to what might, how that might reflect a new way of thinking about that problem. You can do that thing with just looking out the window or looking around this room and seeing what flirts with you. You can do that with- What do you mean what flirts with you? Yeah, fl flirting is, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, if, if you just look around, if, I, if I'm just looking around the room, you know, it might be a particular color that calls my attention. It might be a bird that flies by when I'm driving down the road. It might be the color of a rose. You know, something that is just calling you that you feel this intuitive pull to that's catching your attention. and 
what that really is, is the fact that you're engaged in a universe that is actually dreaming with you. Everything around you is speaking to you in order to awaken you to your fullest potential and to give you access to all the information and intelligence that's all around you. So once we realize this, we can engage in nature in a way that it's actually part of our dream there to awaken us to our wholeness. So then everything that happens to us, even body symptoms or even traumas or relationship conflicts or things that we don't like or dreams and nightmares or flirts or things that catch our attention or songs that pop into our head, all of this becomes part of a bigger dreaming process to help us fulfill our goals and access more information. So the universe is really alive and it's there co-creating with you. You're in the dream and you're the dreamer and everything around you is participating in that. And it really opens up another level of richness to life. And it could really be the beginning of a much deeper creative process that can support you in your entrepreneurship or your business or in anything that you do really. But for business, it's, it's, we're so accustomed to this, this regular way of doing things. It's so linear and logical. And when we realize that all of things that are happening around us that we, can, we don't normally sense are actually other sources of information. I'm not saying necessarily throw out the logical way of doing things, but when we can do the other side, we have now whole brain thinking, right? It's very much like Paul's analogy of when you're in the gym and in between sets doing art. Right, right. Now you're really accessing both sides of the brain. You, you're working out, you're lifting weights, and then you're drawing something beautiful on your rest period. And so, you know, as you know, that really opens you up to so much more and just a really much more rich experience, right, of being in the gym. And so, yeah, just as a little gym example. Well, you know what's so cool about that in this conversation, which I'm really enjoying, is like you've, and I do this as, as much as possible, and what I observe within you and just even in this conversation is you have an incredible ability to blend like the old with the new and not just disregard. It's not an or, it's an and. And so blending uh, old traditions, old wisdoms with the practical application of right now, you have kids, you live in this world. You can very much still, it's not like the, the, the hermit who just goes off and completely disconnects from society. You are very much here. And that's one of the beautiful things that I experience about you. And I want to take a half step back because you had shared, you know, those four directions and the ability, how I received it to blend that old with the new, but what is a medicine wheel? Like, cause I know indigenous cultures use this and, and navigate in much of life, like you're saying with it, but what is the medicine wheel or how is it used in, in, in indigenous peoples? Yeah. And I, I do also want to say that this whole integration was not an easy path. Okay. And it's not something that comes natural to me. So we could, we could circle back to that Hell because yeah. I think it's important to talk about the fact that there was a whole journey there that wasn't, that was, you know, ups and downs of, of learning how to integrate all these different things into kind of into more of a whole um, package. But the medicine wheel, you know, I'll just speak about what it is for me. It's sort of the four components that one needs to, to, to fulfill their life. So, you know, you could look at it even completely opposite, uh, outside of the wheel, like the Paul's four doctors. Okay. He synthesized it down to everyone needs diet, quiet, movement, and happiness. You could look at that as the four directions of a wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, Carl Jung had thinking, feeling, sensation, and intuition. Those were the four factors of consciousness. 
we have spring, summer, winter, and fall, <laughs> right? We have the yellow race. We have the red race. We have the black race. We have the white race. We have two leggeds. We have the sea creatures. We have the four leggeds, and we have the birds, right? We have all of these components of all of these things that simplify down to four, which are the key components of, uh, that make life, that make the circle of life. And that's essentially what the medicine wheel is. Now, certain cultures break that down even further where you can do the, 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 the four, north, south, east, west, and you can do like northeast and southeast. And then you could even break it down to a 20 count wheel. And it gets very, very complex. <laughs> and there's layers upon layers and upon layers. Um, you know, in the east, they say, is, is the, the, the rattle because that's the rising sun. And that's the first instrument you hear when, when you're a child. They give you a birth rattle bring you into this life, mm -hmm. rattle you in. And then in the South is the drum because the drum connects us to our heart. And the West is the foot rattle because the West is the black and the mystery and the night. And that's where our ancestors live and to wake up and dance with our ancestors. And the North is the flute or the bells because it's about ringing and bringing in our inspiration, right? So these are just ways to look at energies and the way, you know, to understand the components of the universe. And if any one of these is not fulfilled, you have a wobbly wheel, right? Right. If we right. marginalize one of the seasons, if we marginalized, you know, our emotional body or our, our mental body or our physical body or our um, energetic body or our spiritual body, the wheel would be wobbly, it wouldn't roll. If we marginalized any one of the, ra the races, we, we know what happens, really, you know, bad problems. So these are the components of life. And they can really be transferred into, into looking at it in any particular way. You know, if you, if you went to see a, a shaman, the questions they would ask you would be in the East. When did you stop singing? Hmm. Why would they ask that? Well, they, they believe if you go to a shaman and say, okay, I have this cancer or I have this problem, they attribute it back to four things. When did you stop singing? When did you stop enjoying and listening to stories? When did you stop dancing? And when did you stop enjoying silence hmm. and ceremony? And when, you, when they get back to, okay, well, I was 10 years old and I had this teacher that said, don't dance, you don't dance well, or don't, you, know, you don't have a good voice, or you know, don't listen to those silly stories, or whatever it is. Like We all have these moments in our life when life kind of twists us in a way. And so the shamans attributed that when those, one of those four things or all of those four things get twisted by life's events, that's the time that they have to go back to and energetically heal so that you can then move forward and progress with your illness or, or, or recover, <laughs> right? So these are just the four components that life can be sort of simplified down to that are the basic building blocks of life. That's super helpful to understand because I, yeah. I didn't know nearly that much about, yeah. about the wheel. You were saying earlier, you had started saying where you are now didn't come easy. Right. Uh, can you share more on that? Yeah. And I'll just, one, one, more, one or yeah. two things more about the wheel. The wheel also shows us that the north-south axis yeah. is, our, is our physical body. So our biological birth, so for us being born as males, in the north will be our wise elder male. Hmm. In the south will be our young boy. And then in the east-west is our opposite sex, biological sex axis. So in the west, we have our elder wise woman. Hmm. And in the east, we'd have our young girl, right? And so we have this inner parent system 
we have access to man and woman, boy and girl inside of us. And what often happens is when traumas happen in one, just like in the singing, dancing, et cetera, uh, argument, when, when we have an injury that happens in, in one of those wheels, like our father comes when we're a child and tells us to be a certain way, or some part of our femininity gets repressed. That's a part of the wheel that sort of gets blocked that needs to be, needs to be healed. And these are literally considered in native cultures, um, shields that literally these shields of energy that come onto our life, come onto our face. So if you ever seen somebody that says, oh, you look like much younger right now, or you look older, it's we're, we're literally shape shifting when these shields can come onto our life. But often we get, because of traumas, we get stuck into one of these four shields or some of them, you know, or we're permanently in one or ones are getting repressed. And this idea of recovering all these aspects of herself, the wise man, the wise woman, the young boy and the young girl, and then becoming a, a whole person, right? And just another thing that's interesting is in the East is our inner warrior. Okay. So for a man, the inner warrior is a young girl. What? Yeah. Really? Because it's about showing up with your vulnerability. It's about having the courage to be who you truly are. It's about knowing respect and boundaries and limits. And it's about being present and, and being, being in touch with what's challenging you and being clear about that. You know, the warrior is someone who's not at the effect of anyone at any place at any time. It's being who you truly are. That's real courage. And it's the energy of a young girl. So, you know, we think that being a warrior is just like machismo thing, yeah. right? But a real warrior is like the stag, the one who is showing up and who they really are and doesn't need to, you know, impress or show off or, you know, oh, I'm so, I'm such a badass or this or that, right? It's got this feminine quality to this strong masculine. And for women, it's the opposite. Their challenge is to show up with their young boy wow. and stand in their power in the East as their inner warrior. And so I just think that's kind of a fascinating thing for, for you know, for guys because we 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 are encultured with this idea that being a warrior has got to be this tough person, and what being tough really is about is about being a good listener, you know, being loving, being vulnerable, and showing up with this girlish almost curiosity. Mm. And again, I, I just want to be clear for the listeners: this is not gender based. This okay. has nothing to do with actually. You know, boy and girl are probably not the right words. These are just aspects of energy. We can call them yin and yang. We can call them, you know, linear and circular or logical or illogical. You know, it, these are, or direct and creative or something. These are just that the, the polarities of nature, but we don't really have the language to discuss these things. In yoga, they have a lot better terminology for these, but English is actually sort of a sloppy word to describe <laughs> these states. So, we're using boy and girl here, but I don't want anyone to get confused to think that that's actually an actual gender. Okay. It's just sort of a category of energy. That's really helpful. And when you were saying that warrior, you're exactly right, because I think how most people associate with the warrior today is actually uh, almost like the immature warrior. They see the aggressiveness, the violence, that sort of stuff. But, you know, the real warrior sets those boundaries, like you were saying, protects, yeah. you know, has the ability to fight, but mm -hmm. uses discernment of how and when and how much. 
And it's, uh, uh, I think how most people, what we see in the movies and all that is a very unbalanced approach to it. Yes. And there is a very, uh, we, the warrior is absolutely necessary. I think now more than ever. Yes. It's interesting in, in, in yoga, which I study in Sanskrit, there's a word called ahimsa. Okay. And, and Gandhi famously translated this as nonviolence. Okay. But the more that I study this, it's really the code of conduct of a warrior. And what it means is doing the least amount of harm while still protecting the innocent and standing for what's right. Hmm. So it's not nonviolence. It's not, I'll never fight. You know, if you're going to come and you're going to threaten my family or you're going to, you know, you're going to threaten the life of, and well-being of the tribe, I'm going to stand up for that. Right. And I'm going to stand up for myself mm-hmm. and, and for what's right and for what protects the earth. And I'm going to protect the innocent. But I'm only going to do that if it's absolutely necessary. Wow. But dude, I'm so excited about this antler that we found on, on the hunt. How cool is this? It's such an amazing, amazing piece of medicine, isn't it? It's, well, one thing that I was really interested when we were on the hunt, you had shared some of your connection with the deer in general. And like, it made me appreciate, even though we didn't get any, we didn't kill any animals on this. I really do feel I'm walking back with some deer medicine here in my hand. So can you share a little bit about the deer and like what it represents? Yeah. Well, this is just my personal experience, but you know, I've been working with um, a Native American teacher. I think, you know, White Eagle Medicine Woman Mm -hmm. and the Whirling Rainbow Foundation. And, you know, I've been going through a, like a three-year initiation with her about be doing this animal rights dance where you literally become your totem, your animal totem, right? And so in a, in a channeled session with her, she's saying, you know, I think you're, you're the deer. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I don't want to be the deer. Like, I want to be a bear or like a lion or <laughs> a snake or a jaguar. Yeah, something badass, right? But the more I actually started really understanding the deer. It's just like the most incredible medicine. So, I mean, for one, you know, I grew up thinking, oh, the deer are just like, you know, stupid animals that freeze, mm. right? You know, when you're driving down the road and you put your headlights on and you're like totally frozen. It's <laughs> like, what is this thing doing? <laughs> but then I understood that there's that gaze, that, that sense of presence where they're looking right into you and right through you. And how could I use that in my life? How could I use that gaze to interact with my kids or my clients, or my wife, or anybody. That level of focus where I'm looking like almost through you into your soul to see who you really are and not just this kind of, you know, all over the place. I mean, they are not thinking about anything in that moment, but looking right into you, right? Mm. You also have the antlers, which is this metaphor for this ability to connect to other intelligences and, you know, the cosmos as an uh, a living antenna. And the idea that I've been working on is this idea of the stag. I, I was named Stagheart in this community. What is a stag? Well, a stag is really a male deer. Okay. But the stag in a ceremonial sense is really um, often a man who has become an elder and really individuated and worked through their own stuff where it's not really about them anymore. It's more about supporting the group. So mm-hmm. somebody who is, is a leader but like a quiet leader standing in the back, holding space and allowing everyone else to do their work and their healing without needing any recognition. So I have to say, I I don't know if I'm yet qualified for that, but it's at least (laughs) something to work towards, right? It is a seven year uh, commitment that I've, that I've uh, stepped into where each year we're doing, um, I I I created deer regalia (laughs) to really step into the deer, to really become the deer. 
I tracked deers on my property, just watched them. I created music for them. I, you know, I, I shared a, a flute song that I created for the deer. I've danced the deer dance now twice. For hours? I remember. Right? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. It's not nearly as intense for a non-native as like a sun dance. I don't want to give that impression like I'm, I'm doing, you know, the kinds of stuff that the Native Americans do where it's like otherworldly. Like we heard from uh, the gentleman who had been doing the sun dance at the sweat lodge we attended. But, you know, as a, as a non-native version of this, yeah, we, we danced all day long in regalia. I had antlers on and I'm crawling and pawing on the ground and I'm really doing my best to really get into a trance to see like, what, how do I fully become this animal so that I could really take that energy inside of me and really become the stag in my own life? You know, with that presence, with that sense of family, with the way that they prance through nature and bounce and the, the lightness of it all. And then really kind of holding space for others with that medicine. So that's the whole idea is how do we take that energy into our, ourselves and then use it in a productive way in the world to help others? That's beautiful. Well, you know, one of the things that brings me back to is on the last hunt that I was on, I had killed a wild boar. Right. And I didn't, I thought I was going to, uh, I was going to get a deer and I, I had these, all these ideas and expectations. And then what I ended up getting was the boar. And I was like, wow. And what was shared with me in a similar way as what you just shared is that especially like when we kill an animal, we bring a part of that into us. Totally. And it's been such medicine for me because this boar had torn up ears, had like uh, claws run through its back. It was a, out here in Texas, boars are hunted year round. And so for this thing to live almost five years, we were told it was a warrior. And so now when I think about that experience, I think about where do I, where can I have an opportunity to step up and need to be a warrior in my life and really call myself up. So it's so interesting that you said that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that there, there's the, the native cultures understood this concept of reciprocity. Hmm. I am going to take your life, but I'm not going to just throw that away. I'm taking this into myself and I'm going to use it to create something beautiful. You, you're actually becoming, your life is not lost. You're becoming a part of me. You're literally becoming the cells in my body. And I'm going to make a life from your life and create beauty from your life and make the world a better place. And I'm not going to take any more than I'm going to give. Wow. And so they have this whole concept of calling and feeding. So the, the, the songs that they sing to the animals are an important part of the process of taking an animal's life because you're literally calling it back in through the energy and the frequency of the song to the deer, to the elk, to the whatever. You're calling it back in to replenish itself so that you don't diminish the population of the animal. That's so interesting, right? right? Going back to something that you said earlier about one of the things that I know about you as well is like, we both live a very ritualistic life. <laughs> right. We both love our rituals, uh, whether it's, you know, in the morning, the cold showers that you were saying, or the sauna, these practical rituals yeah. that we love. And I actually stress a lot to my clients at the retreats that they're the incorporating rituals, which for me is almost like a routine with intention regularly is, is really a big key to living a more balanced life. But that being said, you and I were having a discussion off air and I, you brought something up that I really want you to dive into, but why do you, and, and why do you say rituals are important? What's the fucking purpose of rituals? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And, you know, I, I really am excited that you're asking these questions because that's, that's what turns me on, now, <laughs> right? It's like, why, you know, 
in, in the West, we have this idea of blind faith. Just believe things because this is what you're told. Right. Right. Most of our religious traditions, especially the corporatized religions and many of the things that we grew up with were don't ask questions, just believe this. Mm. I know that was really my experience often. I wasn't told why or really given any kind of logical explanations into things. It was like, this is the truth. This is the story. This is what you're supposed to believe. You need to go to college. You need to go to school in this particular way. You need to believe in, in the world. Don't ask questions about God or anything like this. You know, And so we're, we're sort of encultured into this idea of this is what you're supposed to believe. But in the East, in particular India, it's a culture based on asking questions and inquiring about the truth. Mm. And it's encouraged. And so the questions of why am I here? Who am I really? Where did I come from? Where am I going? How to live life well? What are truths that are eternally true for all people? What is true for me in this lifetime? You know, how do I live well even now, but also ultimately live well from life to life? And so these are these like really deep, deep questions. And it's kind of fascinating for me. This is just a little bit of a tangent. But when I was a kid, I don't know if other people had this. Is I, you know, I, I would stay up at night and just thinking about like, I don't understand death. And I'd ask myself, what is death? What is death? What is space? How can it be infinite? I don't understand. How does it go on forever? But how can it not? How can death be the end? But how can it not? And I would just realize that I was actually this like inquiring yogi, but I was in, in this like Western body, right? And so for me, the pursuit of truth and knowledge and really trying to understand life is of the utmost importance to me. So I had to ask myself, like, why do I do all of these rituals? And it turns out that Sanskrit is, is interestingly a very useful way to understand these kinds of things. So for example, if we we're going to talk about the body and I wanted to say, Mike, this is my forearm. Okay. That's English. But if I wanted to get more descriptive about it, I would say this is the extensor, extensor digitorum. Okay. Right? That's Latin. Medical doctors use Latin to talk about the body because it's more precise for talking about the body than English is. And if I wanted to go even further, I could probably say, oh, it's extensor digitorum and another word, lateral, medial, I don't know. Right? I'm not an expert in anatomy, but it goes on and on and on to more and more precise ways. Descriptive anatomy. Descriptive yeah. anatomy. Yeah. So Latin when comes from Greek. Greek comes from Sanskrit. Really? San Sanskrit was an, an ancient language that was like the Latin is for the body to, to talk about the cosmos and to talk about states of psychology and to talk about and answer these questions of who we really are, where we came from, what is the divine, how does it live inside of us, how to live well. And so these are very precise descript terms that describe these things. So it turns out the word ritual comes from the ritam. And the ritam are the laws of nature. And so it's this idea which gets back to that feminine receptive quality of, of business that I was talking to you about, is that the laws of nature are the intelligence that's behind everything around us, right? If we walked into a museum, we wouldn't just think that all of this beautiful art or all of these beautiful artifacts just appeared. We'd think, well, there has to be some kind of artist. There has to be a curator. There has to be a marketing director. There has to be a CEO. There has to be the guy or, or woman cleaning the floors. There has to be the treasurer. I mean, there has to be all these departments that make all of this thing intelligent. But we don't think about the universe in that way. But it turns out that this universe, and the yogis believe that the universe, this vastness of the universe is incredibly intelligent. 
and precise and informative and way, way smarter than we are with, you know, our little like, you know, left brain logical stuff, right? So the whole purpose of rituals really is, is to first re, re, do practices that generate heat and transformation in ourselves, so that we can remove the interferences in our body. Then once we do that, we can then know who we truly are and what is our real purpose because we've removed all of these twists and blocks that other people have put onto us to say that this is how you have to be or this is how you have to act. And then from that point, we can then connect to the Ritam through these rituals to the purposeful laws of nature. So the reason that we do these rituals is that we're then in alignment with the laws of nature and inviting that intelligence into our life to then inform our practices and our work and our life. And then we're really becoming highly intelligent. We're becoming, you know, really the, the instead of like cosmopolitan, it's like cosmic politan. You know, we're becoming this cosmic intelligence that's coming down into our life by this connection to realizing that when we look outside and we see, you know, a hummingbird flapping its wings, that science can tell us how many times a second that thing is flapping. But it doesn't tell us about the intelligence that created the hummingbird. <laughs> what is this intelligence that's behind all of this beauty I see everywhere? Wow. Why am I so helplessly attracted to beauty when I look outside and I see that, you know, th this place where you're hunting, right? was just this incredible, beautiful, you know, sunrises and trees swaying and the wind and the river. What is the intelligence behind all this? Well, you know, I want to know the creator of this beauty. It's the greatest artist I've ever seen, right? And so inviting that into your life through rituals, and then that's informing, informing you. And then you're getting into sort of an ecological reciprocal relationship where you're realizing that there is intelligence, that there are consequences to cutting down trees and polluting the water and polluting the earth and taking more food than you need. And then you're living in this way that's thinking about the next seven generations and not just what can I extract right now in this lifetime. It puts you in, in a place where you're then preserving life on a, on a more global scale. This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Lifestyle, my nine-week follow-along kettlebell movement program for both beginners and intermediate lifters. After nearly 20 years training and coaching kettlebells, I can tell you with confidence that the journey you'll be taken through with this program is not just going to make you a better kettlebell lifter, but is also going to help you care for yourself for a lifetime. Now, let me be fully honest. This program is not for someone who wants to go 100 miles an hour right out of the gate and just get their body crushed. That is not this program. And that is the opposite of the philosophy that I love to teach today. And that really stems from, once again, over 20 years of direct experience, having been broken down, built my body back up, competed at an elite level, worked with so many hundreds, if not thousands of people from around the world. This is what really works. And I'm so excited to share this program with you. As a subscriber of the Path Podcast, I'm giving $100 off on the program. And all you got to do is go to kettlebellifestyle.com, sign up today and use code PATH20. Now let's get back to the show. So think about the hunt, right? Here we are, we have these extremely, you know, busy lives and these, you know, we, well, what we think is like important jobs, but we have like, you know, people that rely on us and we have clients and goals and all these things that we want to produce. You know, you have your podcast that's growing and, you know, Dr. Nathan Riley has all of his patients and 
I have my course that I'm building and all of these different things that we have going on. At this, and we also have our families, mm. you know? And at the same time, we think, oh, you know, we, we really can't get away. We can't go into nature because we have so many things that we, we need to work on and really produce. And this whole idea of time under tension is better. But when we go out into nature, right? And we're there with the guys watching the sun come up at 6.30 in the morning. And we're there at night watching the sun go down. And we're standing in the river and seeing the birds flying. And we're lying down under a pecan tree to take a nap with, and feeling the wind blowing on us. That's when I personally had these incredible insights about how, where I want to take my business for the, maybe for the rest of my life, or at least for the near future, by paradoxically doing nothing. And just by merging with the intelligence of nature around me and by shutting off my mind, all of a sudden new insights were able to come in. And I'm just so inspired now to go back and integrate that back with the left brain. I'm not saying throw that away, but this fluidity in this flow between the polarities is so important where if we don't take time to step out and connect with nature and the laws of nature and allow that to inform us in new ways, we can never really be thinking about anything differently. One of the things when there's massive change in life, oftentimes, at least this has been my experience, when I was lifting and I was training my ass off and I reached this specific goal, but I broke down my body and now I have this whole new holistic approach to training, so many parts of me wants to, uh, or I have to remind myself because for a long time, and I do have to catch myself, parts of me resent or um, regret the past. Like, man, if I just learned this earlier, if I, you know, I think that's one of the things, if I only knew this then, and what I'm hearing you say is like this merging, this bridging for someone who's also in this change state, whether it's living healthier or embodying anything that we're both talking about right now, is there any advice or suggestions you can have with someone who's maybe has regrets or is trying to make that bridge themselves? Well, I could just tell you about my own personal experience. Um, I could think about what you're saying a little bit more deeply, but you know, for me, I, I did this 20-year career in Wall Street, and I just had enough of it. I just said, you know, I, I, I've done this. I, I just want to throw this thing away. I want to become a therapist. I want to help other people. I want to focus on dreaming. I want to explore shamanism and music and <laughs> all these things. And I wanted to become this completely. You see, the trading was my primary identity. Okay. The trading was in alignment with my report card. Holy shit. At the same time, was secondary to me was this dreaming nature, becoming the one that's falling back and opening up my mind. So I threw myself into the dreaming. I became a dream therapist. I started working with shamans. I started doing community drumming and taking singing lessons and taking Native American flute lessons and working with Hawaiian kahunas and, and you know, developing this course. But ultimately what I realized that all roads led me back also to the trading. And so the idea is that this whole thing of what was secondary to me then became primary, but then this whole trading side of myself became secondary and unknown to me. And the reality is we need to become master of both worlds and know how to use these tools, right? Not just be Wall Street, but all streets, right? Have access to this fluidity be behind all of our gifts and talents, which for me is this linear, direct, focused ability that I could have to create and achieve at the same time, you, you know, surrendering and not being attached to the outcome. And when any one of those sides of me gets too focused, there's something that gets marginalized. 
And that usually shows up in body symptoms or in nightmares or in relationship problems or somewhere in your life that you're dreaming it up unconsciously to reflect back to you a message that you need to awake to. So paradoxically, my focus on that report card in terms of a metaphor of of a type of energy that I'm working with is my core power and my core wounding. Hmm. And they're two sides of the same coin. It's my greatest strength and also a, a, a source of what was a wound for me, thinking that that was all of me. But it's not about throwing that away. It's about using that and integrating it now. So how do I use that with the detachment of what that, that secondary falling back nature? How do I recognize all of my skills and talents and use them in a whole and not just try to push away a part of myself? Because that is me. And so really what I came back to is that my purpose now is to help people in the business world bridge these two worlds. Right. It's that that's how I can have the biggest impact is saying, look, I did this, you know, I was successful and I did this. I learned how to be holistic in this space. And I can't just throw that away and say, I'm only going to just be focusing on dreaming. And, you know, it's like I need to teach people how to do that and be a bridge between both. And that's essentially what we all need to do to access our wholeness. And the place that stands between what's primary and secondary is the edge. The edge is this resistance to, you know, if there, there's, there's always something that we can't do, what are we not willing to say to our partner? What are we not willing to say to a friend or a family member? What are we not willing to do in bed? What are we not willing to do in public? You know, as, as sort of a metaphor, but like we all have edges to like thinking bigger about our business or thinking bigger about ourselves. The edge is sort of like the bouncer that stands at the door that says, <laughs> you can enter here, right? And there's a lot of energy there. And it often, it often shows up in dreams as dream figures, as you know, monsters or thing or body symptoms, or you know, we're getting to this point where, you know, um, in the Bhagavad Gita, as as an example, here's this big battle, right? And Arjuna's out there in the battlefield, the conch shells are blowing, the elephants are stomping, the bugles and the drums are playing. Here's the greatest warrior on the earth. And he says, I can't do it. And he throws down his sword and says, I, 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 don't, I don't want to do this. That's the edge. It's like you're standing on this, the verge of greatness of becoming something bigger than yourself and you hit this wall. And so, you know, working with the edge and understanding the edge and, and daring to, be, to go over through that resistance gives us access to more of ourself. And then we can really create more wholeness in our life. Dude, man, I am enjoying this conversation so much. Me and too. every time we get to hang together, I feel so inspired. And uh, yeah, I'm, this has just been so, so much fun. And one of the things I know you pushing to your edge is really, I mean, you, you have been of service and you are of service, but you're really stepping into that at a whole nother level right now. Yeah. You're really in a cool position or in a cool place in your life. And so it's really... Uh, exciting for me to see it and to witness it. And uh, this course that you just touched on, yeah. I know that is that is bringing you to, to a new edge. Yeah. And so uh, before we close, I would love for you to share just a little bit more about uh, what is it, where, you know, wh what is it going to be yeah. about a little bit more? Yeah. I just want to share one thing that just, you know, is occurring to me too, about you talking about edges. Is if yeah. we get back to the same idea of this childhood dream. Okay. My edge is to go from this eternal student to a teacher. Because in that dream was this report card. 
And so I'm just, I've constantly been focusing on learning and, and being the best student, you know, Paul checks longest running client or the, the <laughs> best of this or the best student of this. But now the edge for me is really stepping into that leadership role. Yeah. Becoming the stag, becoming the one who doesn't need to, you know, get that appreciation from all these teachers to feel that inside of myself and then be the teacher. Right. So that's where my edge is right now. And so, you know, we're always constantly working on these things and they're, it's a lifelong process. But to answer your question, yeah, I'm creating this, uh, a course that's going to be coming out in probably about February, March, and it's still quite under development, but it's going to be including all of these things that work for me in my life to be abundant, true abundance, inner and outer, right? So I'm going to take everyone through this wheel of the east, south, west, and north and talk about all of the key components that you need to do to, to operate well, to live well, to be successful, vibrant, vital, inner and outer success abundant and beautiful, have purpose in your life and have success. And, and we're going to talk about redefining what does success mean, right? And so, yeah, uh, for right now, you can, you can hit me on my website, jasonpicard.org. I'm sure you'll link that. And then eventually um, in a couple of months, my, my course is going to be coming out and it's going to be, I'm super, super excited about it. Hell yeah. What we'll definitely do is once that comes out, we'll do an, another pod and, and man, brother, it's been so much fun spending these days with you. And every time we get to be in person, uh, I know we lift each other up. So thank you for everything that you shared today. And, uh, you know, uh, the last thing that I just want to share with regard to what you said about the teacher, it's like, I will say in my observation of you, my experience of you, yes, I can totally see that being where you're at right now. And you just living you, even as the student, even as the student has always taught me so much. Even when I was coming in new, to New York to train you with Bulgarian bags and kettlebells and such, I learned so much from how, how you lived your life and the questions you asked and the presence when I'm in your gym right now, like I can feel you, I can see you. And it's like, I think that's, that's one of the most, that is the stag, like what you're saying. And I think you have always been a teacher. It's just now taking a slightly different yeah. light. So thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah. Love you. Love you, man. That's, that's what they call becoming an acharya in Sanskrit. One who walks the way they think and talk. Walking the talk. So, hey, I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity. You've been such a good friend and, you know, I just absolutely adore you and your energy and <laughs> I'm just so excited for you with this podcast and your child and, and your new upcoming wife. And man, I'm just, I'm just so happy to see you thriving. And you're somebody who, you know, I, I know this podcast is ending, but just I'm amazed at the edges that you've been able to go over in your life. Transitioning from your parents' business to following your dreams. And I'm sure there's a whole podcast on the edges you hit in that moment and, and being courageous to be who you are, come from your core come from your heart to live your dreams. You're an inspiration to all of us. So thank you for being you. It's a pleasure to know you, my friend. And um, I love you. I love you too, brother. Thank you. Aho. Aho. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path. And I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours. 